Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Hi. This is lovely. I love that you call them treasure kids. <laughs> I tell you, the future of this world, of this country, of every country, is in our children. And that is where the attack, the attack is on our children. Every single one of them has a God-given destiny, which we desperately need them to fulfill. And the enemy is out to destroy those destinies any way he can. He's like a roaring lion, but he's also a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But the good news is that he is a defeated foe and he is crushed under our feet and we need to impose that on him. We need to take back our children for Jesus and we need to take authority and we need to speak Speak life into our children. Now, my children were both born with autism, and I'll tell you more about that. But I'm just going to do my introduction. Firstly, apologies from my husband. He wasn't able to come, unfortunately. Um, I've been married to 30, for 30 years now to a really gorgeous, handsome Englishman. I'm originally South African. I married him especially to get an English passport. <laughs> But he was so gorgeous, we decided to keep it together. <laughs> um, I'm the mother of two healthy young men. Timothy is 27. Um, he lives in America. He's about to marry his American bride. And um, my younger son, James, is about to turn 20. And uh, he's a second-year uh, Bible college student also in America, although he's in England at the moment for the summer. And um, we'll just see what God has planned for my boys. I will tell you now that if it wasn't for God, their destiny was destroyed. The enemy tried to take out my children, but praise God, he is greater and his power manifests through this word. I'll tell you this, for many years I woke up Every morning, and the moment I woke up, I had one thing to start my day with. I am Deborah, the mother of two normal, healthy children. What I was saying was in direct contrast to what I was living. I was living what seemed to me a living hell because I had two children with severe disabilities and no help and no support, and I was struggling. My husband was away 50% of the time on business trips, and I did not know how to deal with this. Um, I was praying every day, God fix them, God help me, God sort this out. And it seemed to me that my prayers were unanswered. So I was saying every day, I am the mother of normal healthy children, despite the circumstances. Why was I doing that? I was speaking things that were not as though they already existed. Why? Because I had a hope. Greg with the handsome beard. He's given me a little stone with hope printed on it. This is all about hope. I had a hope given to me by somebody that I really trusted. That's exactly what God did when he changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed his name to father of many nations. 
um, long before there was any sign in the natural of that even being a possibility. Uh, in Romans 4.17, we read that God speaks of the non-existent things that he has promised as if they already existed. That's in the Amplified Version. You'll see it more clearly. And because I believed the promise that I received through the word, I decided to do the same. And I'm really glad I did because now I stand here today saying I am the mother of normal, healthy young men. Praise God. Psalm 27, 13 in the Amplified says, What would have become of me had I not believed that I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? And that is my story. Everything we receive from God comes through faith. That's why without faith it's impossible to please him. In Hebrews 11.6, he loves us. He has given us amazing promises in his word. But the avenue through which we receive it is faith and faith in his word. Isaiah 55.10 and 11 say, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There is so much power in this word. If we will trust it, if we will believe it, We've all heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Let's not become so familiar with this word that we treat it with contempt. If you come to it with awe and reverence and open it up as though God himself was speaking it to you, which he is, then the Holy Spirit, who's our constant guide and companion, can make it clear to you and teach you personally each individually, we, we have a personal plan here, which he teaches us um, through this word. And that is what releases faith in us. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word received with awe and respect as the treasure that it is goes to work in our hearts and produces the faith through which we receive everything that he has promised in his word. His protection, his provision, his wisdom and guidance, his tenacity, his patience, and his healing power to heal everything that ails us. When we have awe and reverence and respect for the word, it produces the faith that we need. It is so huge to me. When faith comes, we receive what he's promised. When we receive what he's promised, we're living in his blessing. When we're living in his blessings, he's pleased. Do you see how it works? That's why without faith we can't please him. Because he's so pleased when we're able to receive everything that he's provided for us. We need to deeply revere this word, to trust it, to believe it's true, and that God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers twenty-three nineteen. He's given us 
many great and precious promises. Second Peter 1.4. Today I'm going to specifically focus on his promise of healing. Because that's the one promise that I focused on almost to the exclusion of everything else for a long time. Remember, where does faith come from? The word. We don't need to pray for more faith. We need to receive more word into our hearts, and faith comes. It's a supernatural exchange. You put it into your heart, and faith is built up, faith is grown, and faith is released. And that is the avenue through which the blessings come. In Proverbs 20, 23, it says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. That's not just a nice scripture. That's a command, and that's what you'll get if you obey Pay attention and you'll have life. You'll have health. And you need that life and you need that health because everyone around you also needs it. And guess where it's coming from? You are going to be a delivery source of his life and his health to others around. Everything we do, we do for ourselves, but we do for everyone around us. Especially parents and ministers. And ultimately, we're all ministers, aren't we? Hebrews 11.11 says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful, and therefore she received by faith. If you look at the Amplified, it says, Because she considered God who had given her the promise to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. If only we judge him reliable, trustworthy, and true to his word, then we can receive by faith everything he has promised us. Revelations 12:11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And this is where I and my family come in. We have a testimony of the faithfulness of God and his word and how he is true to his word. Faith came and we received. I don't have enough time now. I would keep you here for at least 10 hours if it was up to me (laughs) to tell you exactly the story. The progress was a five-year journey from the day I found out about healing to the day both my boys were healed. And I'm going to try to be succinct and tell you a little of my journey, of our journey. But I have a slightly larger version in my book. I wrote that book specifically because so many people asked me so many questions. And I'm an introvert. So I thought, well, if I write it down and put it out there, everyone will leave me alone. (laughs) So um, if there are any questions I haven't managed to answer, please Go and read that book. It's a faith builder. And God is who he says he is, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Um, So the journey started when Tim was born uh, 27 years ago. Um, He appeared to be a normal, healthy baby. Uh, But almost immediately, we could tell there were issues. He was an inconsolable baby. He cried as if he was in agony. 
Um, I believe he was in agony, but no one really knew why. Anyway, fast forward a little, and as time went by, we noticed more and more issues. There were issues with sleeping. There were issues with um, eating. He seemed to have pain in movement, pain at odd times. Certainly, he wasn't able to eat any solid food of any sort other than breast milk for more than the first year of his life. And he was a big, hungry baby, so I was naked. <laughs> but... Um, by the time he was four years old, um, we were very aware that there were issues. Christopher was in denial, bless him, um, and also he didn't spend as much time with the son as I did because he was working and I was a stay-at-home mum. But by the time he was four, I realized that he had Asperger's syndrome because I read about it in a magazine and it sounded as though they were describing my son. Um, there were a lot of issues socially. He had... Um, real uh, difficulty socializing, understanding what people were saying because he had audio processing difficulties. A lot of the things that I talk about were diagnosed later when he went on to be assessed, which didn't happen until he was nine years old. Um, when he was seven years old, I had James, our second son. So there was quite a gap, which was just as well because I was struggling to cope. But by then, I wasn't able to give Timothy the attention he had become accustomed to and needed. And so when James was born, Tim's life changed, and it didn't impact on him very well at all. James was also a difficult baby, and everyone said, well, if one didn't sleep, the next one will be a cinch. He'll sleep. He didn't sleep. <laughs> he, if possible, he was even worse than Timothy when it came to sleeping. And uh, I didn't cope very well, so we got an au pair in to try and help me so I could give Tim more attention. There was an accident, and James landed face down on a tile quarry floor from a height, and his face exploded in blood. He was concussed. He was nine weeks old. And so there are a lot of the issues that James went on to have. They weren't sure how much of it was the autism and how much of it was brain damage. Um, let, fast forward to when Timothy was nine years old we finally went and had him assessed and diagnosed and they diagnosed autism we had him assessed by a neuropsychologist here in Cambridge the top neuropsychologist in the country and she assessed him over a period of six weeks and she said he had something called disexecutive syndrome which is a type of frontal lobe brain damage which was severe enough to impact on him and his future going forward quite severely. And the autism itself, she, she said, was a minor issue in comparison to this brain damage and how it was affecting his life. Um, she also said that he had the first signs of bipolar disorder. He was very unstable emotionally and mentally, and he was at high risk of suicide. And um, by now, when she assessed him, he was 11, and she said he needs to go to Great Ormond Street to see a specialist psychologist, psychiatrist there and get on medication quickly, which he would be on for life to keep him stabilized. Um, in the meantime, he had been diagnosed with dyspraxia. As I said, audio processing difficulties, which meant he could hear people speaking, but it was a garbled sound. And it took time for him to process it into language that he could understand. So you can see how trying to socialize with other children was very difficult and very frustrating. 
Um, people would answer for him, speak over him. The whole communication issue was exacerbated. Um, on top of this, he was above normal intelligence. So the combination was really disastrous for him emotionally. And um, he was lonely and desperately keen to socialize. And it was a very difficult time. He was never able to slot into school. He was far too hyperactive. They would never have kept him in school without um, giving him drugs to calm him down. And, of course, by now you may have noticed I was an uncooperative mother and they were not giving my son drugs so he didn't go to school. Um, the best way I could teach him was to let him run up and down the garden, bounce on the trampoline, and I would speak or read. I would ask him questions. But as long as his little body was moving, he could understand and listen and focus Make him sit on a chair and you'd lost him. <laughs> so uh, he didn't go to school. Um, anyway, it came close to the time that I was needing to take him to see the psychiatrist at Great Ormond Street. And um, I, I decided that this couldn't possibly be God's destiny for my child. I had seen people who are on medication for bipolar. I used to be a nurse. And... I knew that in there was a boy who was perfectly okay and that this was some sort of attack. I knew God enough to know that there's got to be a better solution than putting my boy on drugs that he'd have to be on for the rest of his life. So I had been praying night and day, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? He he's absolutely um, has the symptoms, but how do we deal with it? And... As time goes by, and I, I, I just didn't seem to hear anything. I still didn't even know how to hear his voice properly. And I finally got to the point where I had my hand on the phone, and I said, okay, I'm going to phone him unless you tell me something. If you say no, then I won't phone him. So do I phone this doctor or not? And I just sat there and prayed in tongues. And 5, 10, 15 minutes went by, and I picked up the phone. And as I picked up the phone, I heard loud and clear in my heart, your sons will never need a psychiatrist. I slammed that phone down so fast, and I never made that appointment. Um, in the meantime, uh, I had not been sleeping. James would sleep a maximum of half an hour at a time. He would fall asleep. His eyes would close. 20 minutes later, they were open, but lights were on and no one home. And he would be aggressive. He'd be growling. He'd be wrestling with the duvet. He'd be shouting out. He'd be either very angry or very terrified. He would grind his teeth. He would scream. To a greater or lesser extent, this is what our nights looked like. I would manage to calm him down, and he would sleep for another half hour, and then he'd be up again. And this is what went on all night. And then I had to try and cope with both of them during the day. By this time, I was beside myself with exhaustion and not managing to be coherent and cope very well. And one night I was um, watching Telly, just trying to calm down before I went to sleep. And it was a Mother's Day program on God TV. And these mums were telling their stories about being a parent and the joys of motherhood. And I broke down and I sobbed and I said, God, their story and my story is so different. I can't do this anymore. Please just take us home. I can't do this anymore. And then I got angry with him and I said, I keep asking you to heal them. I keep asking you to help us. Why won't you help them? I would die for them. And immediately in my spirit, in my heart, I heard him say, I already did. 
And you know, it struck me. I had been a Christian all my life. And I didn't know why he did that. So I said, but why did you bother? That's not a nice way for your son to die. But what use is that to me? I am living hell on earth. And I'm supposed to be grateful that Jesus died. And he said, I'll heal them. And immediately I made the connection between healing and the cross. And I knew if God has promised me healing for my boys, we're sorted. That's it. From that moment on, I knew my boys were going to be okay. I knew I was going to be okay. I knew God was on the case. And if God's on the case, I don't need doctors and therapists or anything else. I was so happy. I was so relieved. The burdens I'd carried, I was, they were just gone. It's like it's God's problem now because he said he'd fix it. And the next day I woke up and I kind of expected to see a difference. There was no difference. Nothing had changed. <laughs> except in me, because now I had hope. Man, and that's a life raft, and nobody was ever going to take it away from me. I didn't care what I saw. I didn't care how things played out. God had promised it to me, and I was having it. From there on, I started looking at the word differently. I had been taught that the healing that we were promised was spiritual healing, and that God sometimes heals but doesn't sometimes, depending on his sovereign will. Uh, sometimes he will impose these things on us. I had heard the Christians tell me God gives special children to special people. I'm like, well, thanks for that. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't appreciate that very much. It would also sometimes, you know, God's punishing you, and I'm well, thanks for that too. Another one is God's teaching you something, and I'm like, well, you know, I was a good student at school. Just write it down, I can learn it, but you don't have to torture me. And that doesn't sound like my God, because I knew he loved me. But I still didn't have the answer, and it wasn't coming from the Christians. Not the ones that I had heard, anyway. But now I started looking more, and I found ministries that taught healing. And I started learning, and I started seeing the Bible with new eyes, without all that old learning that I had to undo. And I started saying, seeing, if it says so, then it is so. And if he promised it, then it's mine, and I can have it. And once I started doing that, we started seeing things, changes, just one thing after another, little things, gradually. But it was like autism was just losing its power to stay, one step at a time. A year went by, and we were out the house. We were socializing with other homemade kids. We were doing stuff. James was starting to um, notice the, his surroundings. He was connecting with his family. Um, he was trying to speak. Um, James, in the meantime, I need to tell you, had stopped mentally developing at the age of about 18 months. When he got to two and a half, they assessed him and said he hasn't developed from 18 months. He's still 18 months. And he shows every sign of pervasive developmental disorder. And you need to get used to the fact that this child is growing physically but not mentally. This is going to be a grown man with the mind of an 18-month-old baby, and you're going to need him to be in care. So as he grows, we're going to need to teach him to exchange communication and how to submit to authority because he's got to be able to um, know how to um, work with his carers. So he got to three. He was still nonverbal. They sent in the speech and language therapists who tried to teach him pecs just once, and it didn't go well. And 
I ask them to leave the house because no one's going to make my son that upset ever again on my turf. And they, I said, he's not going to learn it, pegs. He's going to learn to speak. Now, this time it was prior to the promise, but I just knew in my heart, all these little children learning to say, Mama, Dada, and everyone claps their hands. That's what I want for my son, not this being trained like. They use the same way to train a dog. They treat these children the same way with punishment and reward, little sweeties and punishments. And I am, my child is made in the image and likeness of God. He does not need to be trained like a dog. So they left, and from there on, on my notes, it said, uncooperative parent, kicked us out the house, irresponsible parent, child is going to be trouble, the state is going to have to look after this child, the mother's getting in the way of our plans. And I was like, none of you are having my boy. But it was really hard because in the natural, there was no hope. And if there was, I would have found it. There's some very weird therapies out there, right? From chelation therapy to hyperbaric chambers to witch doctors. There were therapies out there if you want to look for them, but none of them really rang my bell. Thank you. But in the meantime, as I said, these boys had been progressing. One day, I noticed James suddenly doing some of the stimming. You know, he used to spin things, used to flap his head, used to flap his hands, and he had stopped doing those things. One day I noticed him starting, and over the period of three days, he regressed worse than he had been before I found out about healing, worse than before God had promised to heal him. And all that gain was just gone in a few days, and I was devastated. And but I knew I had the promise, and I knew that we have an enemy, and I decided I was going to hold on to hope like a life raft, and I was going to walk by faith and not by sight, and I was going to speak things that be not as though they already existed because I had a promise, and that was tough because the months went by, and this child became very aggressive, very contrary he would do the opposite of what he thought anyone wanted. He made life very difficult for the family. And because he didn't, my boys had sensory issues. For instance, they didn't feel things the same way. Lights were too bright. All normal noises were way too loud. Smells were too strong. Um, taste was, was amplified. So they had bland food. I had to keep the house free of fragrances. We had to keep the curtains drawn to stop the direct sunlight hurting their eyes, you know, on and on. One of the strange things with Tim is that he was hypersensitive to pain. Just the smallest tap would have him screaming in pain. Jane, James was the opposite. He would fall down, graze his little knees, get up, and keep toddling on, blood pouring down his legs and not even notice. I had to keep such a close eye on him because the potential for him to hurt himself was so high. So bearing all this in mind, I was watching this child so closely during this time, and it was a difficult time, but I was holding on to God's hand. In the meantime, Tim continued to just, just quietly improve, and that was great. Um, but during these nine months or so that James had regressed, I was praying, Lord, I'm looking for someone. I didn't have a church because apart from anything else, I couldn't take my boys. They couldn't cope with church. You can't take them into an environment like that. Um, 
there, there would be meltdowns before we even got out the car. And at this point, James wouldn't leave the house anyway. So that wasn't possible. But I didn't have a pastor. I didn't have a church. I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't have any family. It was me and God. And I would hold Jesus' hand 24-7 to get through. But I said, Lord, send me someone who believes in healing like you do, like I do. Someone who knows healing so that we can pray together, so they can release their faith with mine. I need to get past this with James. I'm really struggling. Please send me help. And I would pray this regularly. And one day on the telly, I saw a testimony of a little girl who had been healed of an um, incurable digestive disorder. And um, we noted the minister's name and went and looked him up on um, on the internet and discovered he was coming to a conference in a few weeks' time. So we decided we were going to be there and he was going to pray for our boys. Because I said, Lord, is this, is this the person? Does this person believe? And I found out. It was Andrew Womack. And um, I, I looked into some of his teaching and I realized... This guy believes. So he's the one. I want this man to pray with me. And so we went to the conference. To cut a long story short, we were in front of him for about half a minute. He prayed over my boys. He laid hands on them. He rebuked autism and commanded it to go. He blessed us as a family. And that was it. We went out a side door to McDonald's and the conference went on. Um, We had to get James out by that time. He had had quite enough of being forced into an environment with people and stuff. But from that moment on, the difference in James was immediate and astonishing. Uh, From that moment, he started eating food. When I say eating food, he had eaten food, but he would only eat pureed oatmeal in mornings and evenings and nothing else in between and nothing else full stop. And he was so thin and so malnourished um, that we would, it was heartbreaking to see the bones and stuff. And they had decided that they'd made a date to operate and put a stent into his stomach to pump food straight into his system because he was so malnourished that he was literally slowly dying of malnourishment. So this is the state that uh, James was in when he suddenly started eating chicken nuggets and chips at McDonald's. Now, I'm also a nutritionist. I had to lay that aside at this point and just be grateful that he was eating. Um, He ate, and he ate hungrily. And when he got home, he wanted more food. And then, having not left the house for about a year, he ran out, called the little girl across the way, who he knows is across there, come and play Uh, He had his own language, you know, with strange noise and gesticulations. We knew what he was saying. And children understand children. It's astonishing. She knew. He's inviting me to play. And over she came. And in the garden they played all afternoon. It was a miracle. And then that night he went to sleep and slept peacefully. The first time since he was born, five years prior, he slept through the night And we never had our rock and roll nights again after that. Tim, in the meantime, just there was no difference immediately. He just continued to improve. And from there, the boys just got better and better. Now, when I spoke over my boys, my way of praying, my way of dealing with this was to fight with the word. This was my sword. And in my mind's eye, I saw autism as an octopus with 
tentacles, more than eight. You know, they had dyspraxia. They had hyperextending joints. They had restless legs, painful joints, um, digestive problems, leaky gut syndrome, allergies, etc. The 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 far-reaching issues of this autism just really went throughout their system, not just their mind and their emotions. Um, and so when I was speaking healing scriptures over my boys, in my mind's eye, I got this sword, and I am fighting, and I am chopping off those tentacles one by one. And in the natural, we are seeing symptoms one by one, just losing their power to stay, just falling away. When Tim got to be 15 years old, we had a vested interest in him having the diagnosis of autism and all the other diagnoses, because he had a number by now of um, other related and unrelated issues. We needed them to be removed so that he could um, be autonomous. He wasn't a ward of state. We needed him not to get to 16 with these diagnoses. We needed them gone. So that was an urgency with us. So at 15, he said to me, Mother, I'm ready to go and get assessed. There's nothing wrong with me. And I was like, good. Because, you know, they led me, my boys, they had the Holy Spirit. These children made an image of God and the Holy Spirit is working in them when parents are praying. So when he said he was 100%, I was like, let's make the appointment. Now, he had been diagnosed by a specialist at um, the old Peterborough Hospital. When I called up to have him assessed with a view to taking the diagnosis away, um, we now were at a new Peterborough Hospital. The previous specialist had retired and gone back to live in Australia. So the new chap... I hadn't taken the children to be assessed, by the way, for a couple of years. I'm like, you guys didn't manage to help me, so I'm staying away from you, and I'm just listening to God. So I didn't take them in. I canceled all their therapies, um, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, whatever. It was like, I'm trusting God now. So I hadn't taken them in. So they said, well, we haven't seen him for a while. Bring him in. We have a new specialist to assess him. Um, But nobody's ever asked for this to be taken away. Mostly people are phoning and saying, help me some more, give me something to help, you know. And so I said, no, he absolutely doesn't have autism, you need to take it off. So they said, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, you know, humoring me. And um, we went in, and uh, they went off into another office and left me praying in the waiting room. And uh, an hour or so later, Timothy came out with a specialist who was beaming from ear to ear. This just made his day. He was smiling. He said, you know what? I have just had the best conversation with a 15-year-old that I've ever had. He said, this guy is perfect. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this boy. We'll be happy to take that diagnosis off his records. Um. And the day that that uh, report arrived, a week or so later, where it said, Timothy is neurotypical, um, we release him from the autism team. I w- it, was, it was a good day. But you know, the best day was when I found out that God had promised me healing in the Word. That was when I got the hope. That was when I celebrated. When we got the report is when my husband celebrated. <laughs> Because he was like, I'm not telling anyone my boys are better until the doctors have said so. He's like, it's no use you going around telling people your children are healed because they'll just think you're a bit dotty. 
And he's, you know, I am a little odd, especially my husband says I'm a little odd. And he's usually, he's quite intelligent, so um, I, I trust him. But we needed the doctors to say so, because the testimony is not worth it if people just don't believe you. And why should anyone believe me? So we had that. But James still had a few issues. James was still, you know, he was progressing. He was well on his way. To me, he was better than perfect. But we knew there were a few little issues still. In the meantime, we moved to Warsaw. So we were in a new area. By the time, a year, a year later, so I think he was about nine years old, I thought, okay, now's the time. He's, he's ready. I phoned up, and they made me an appointment at Midland Psychology Unit in Warsaw, where subsequent to me making the appointment, I had a phone call from the pediatrician in charge of the autism unit, and she was very irritated. She tried to be patient with me. Mrs. McDermott, autistic children don't get better. I'm so glad your son's doing well. But even children with autism improve. (sighs) I've read his records, and I see the situation. Why has he not been assessed for the past three years or so? I said, well, you guys assess them from here to next year, but none of you can help him. So I thought it was a waste of time. So she's like, (sighs) and I suspect she'd already read on the records, non-cooperative mother, kicked off the the speech and language therapist. So she said, look, children don't heal from autism. Children don't get better. Children improve. We can help them. There's behavior modification. I'm so glad he's doing better. Bring him in and we'll assess him. But I just don't want you to get your hopes up. How many times did I hear that? Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. What if it doesn't happen? Don't get your hopes up. That is a lie from hell. Get your hopes up. Is what the Holy Spirit said to me. (laughs) Anyway, we went in and she had lined up a speech and language therapist, an occupational therapist, a clinical psychologist, an educational psychologist, and herself, um, the uh, pediatrician in charge of autism. And between the five of them, they went into this glass-walled room so that the child could see me, but I was in another room. So I, I just let them get on with it. And an hour later, this child was having the time of his life. Five people all focused on him and fascinated by everything he said and did. He was just having a lovely time. These other specialists, they were laughing, but the pediatrician was not happy. Anyway, they came out, and he was like, hello, mommy, and stuff. She was like, what on earth? And she throws his records down. This is a mistake. There's nothing wrong with this child. That diagnosis must be taken off his records immediately. And she was furious that he had been misdiagnosed and someone had slipped up somewhere. And I'm like saying, yeah, it was the devil. He messed. He messed up. So here we have James, who's nine years old, and the only problem that they found with him is that he talked too fast. That's because until he was five years old, he was nonverbal, and they said he would never speak. 
And when he discovered that God created his tongue to speak, he didn't stop and he could not talk fast enough. <laughs> they suggested a speech and language therapist to try and slow him down. And I said, I don't think so. Let him go. <laughs> He's got some catching up to do. What I want to say to you is our God is a good God. And when Jesus died on that cross, he took autism to the cross. Autism is a defeated foe. He didn't just take autism. He took every single sickness, every single disease to that cross. He bore it so that we don't have to. And now healing belongs to us. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Our God is a God of miracles. I will tell you just one or two little things completely unrelated to autism that while on the journey, these things happened. Because I'll tell you when your faith is up there and you decide to step out of the boat and walk on the water, there are going to be things that will come along and try and sabotage you. Do not get overwhelmed. Do not allow the enemy. He's an intimidator. He will try and intimidate you. Nothing is too difficult for God. You're not on this journey alone. And he is right there every step of the way. And if you dare to believe him, his eyes are looking and looking to see who he can show himself strong for, who he can release his power for. He just needs us to be faithful. Um, I'll tell you a few little extra things. Tim chipped his tooth. Tim was about 11, 12. He knocked himself while drinking, and he chipped his front tooth. But he heard me walking around the house, praying in tongues and commanding and speaking. I had signs all over the house. Autism is the enemy. Enemy has been defeated. And I, I just the house was just wallpapered with scriptures, and I was walking around. Anytime anything went wrong with the children, I will say, well... You speak and tell that to go in the name of Jesus. That's got no right to you. You're healed. And so the boys had learned, well, James, <laughs> James was James. He was playing with his trains. But Tim had learned at this point. And um, so he said, my, my tooth is chipped. And he's like, I want to get married one day. That's not going to look very nice. Girls won't like me if I've got a chipped tooth. So I'm like, well, ask God. He's the one who made it. He knows how to fix it. Just ask God to fix it and then command it to grow. Three days later, he had a perfect shaped tooth. It grew back. <laughs> you know, don't be afraid to give your children hope. It's never a false hope when the Holy Spirit's there and when God's there. Another thing was that um, when Tim was 14, he was growing really fast. By the time he was almost 15. His feet were a size 14 and he was six foot four. This boy was growing and they said, oh, he has issues. His growth hormone has gone crazy. The pituitary gland, so many problems with his brain. They just, they, you know, they just, anyway, um, they said that the glands were releasing way too much growth hormone. He's heading for six foot seven plus. And, um, and I was like, no, he's not. This is England. Half the doorway is only so high. This guy's going to knock himself out everywhere he goes. We can't have six foot seven plus. So I spoke to him and we prayed over it. And in the name of Jesus, I told his body to stop growing right there and then. His feet, no bigger than a 14, please God. And his body, he stops here. I said, do you mind? Did you want to get to six foot five or can we stop now? He's like, no, this is good. This is good. So we stopped, and he never grew another inch. And from that day on, 
He's now still six foot four. Um, then James at the age of six. Weird and wonderful things happen. The enemy starts throwing it at you. He broke out in acne, body odor, and started growing hair on his face. Premature adolescence at the age of six. Little fellow has only just started trying to talk. He was like a newborn baby in a six-year-old body, just opening up and seeing the world for the first time. And then he goes into adolescence. I'm like, what on earth? He had the whole works. And I thought, not a chance. This is not happening. And they said, well, you know, we can try and do something about it. I didn't let them see him. I just spoke to someone on the phone. They said, but he will be stunted growth-wise um, if this goes through. And we don't like to mess with children's hormones, etc., etc." And I'm like, I'm with you. We're not messing with this boy's hormones. So I just waited till he was asleep. I laid hands on him. And I commanded adolescents to back off until he was... I forget now the exact age I gave. I think it was 12. Um, yeah, 12. I said, you back off and you don't come back till he's 12. And the next day he woke up and within a week, the hair had fallen out of his little top lip. His acne had cleared up. The body odor was gone and he was fine. We had so many of these little things, so many of them, every single one of them. Our God is greater. Of course he is. Of course he is. Because he says so in his word, but this is the thing. So are you, and so am I, because guess who lives inside of us? He is greater than anything that can come against us, and he has given us power and authority over all the ability of the enemy. But it doesn't come automatically. There are lots of children out there, lots of children with Christian parents who have autism. These children have autism. These children have you name it, there are so many. I don't even like to name them. Every single one of those disabilities is of the enemy. Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God was with him because it's God's will to heal. Jesus healed because that's who he is. He's Jehovah Rapha. Who oppressed? Who oppressed? It was the devil. Who is under our feet? Who did Jesus defeat at the cross? It was the devil. We now need to go around healing all who are oppressed of the devil, for God is with us. I will tell you right now, the next generation is under attack like never before. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for supernatural to be our natural, because we don't live in this world only. We're in it, but we're not of it. We are of the kingdom of God, and in the kingdom of God, different rules apply. We are not subject to the natural. We are supernatural. That means above and beyond the natural. No one could heal autism, but God told me above and beyond. But I had to cooperate with him. It didn't happen. I didn't say, oh, Lord, I'm waiting on you and go back to sleep. Day and night I spoke the word. Day and night I built up my faith. Day and night I spoke things that were not as though they were. Day and night I walked by faith and not by sight. And when things went bad and there were regressions, I knew that that is the enemy and the enemy has been defeated and this is going to have to change. And if it didn't change immediately, that's okay because I walk by faith and not by sight. My God is faithful. We cannot give up. We've got to know that we are supernatural beings. When we got born again, we stepped out of one kingdom. And we stepped completely into another kingdom, another system of government, another place where different rules apply. Here we are supernatural. And our God is a supernatural God. And we are here to impose the greater one, the power of the healer. 
the greater one who is in us. And we impose it. And we say, thus far, no further. Take your hands off our children. Take your hands off our loved ones. Take your hands off God's creation. And we must stand up and actively pursue what God has promised and make it come to pass. We pray, if we pray the Lord's Prayer regularly, we pray your will be done. What's his will? That we go around and do good and heal those who are oppressed of the devil. For God is with us. As he is, so are we in this world. And I've got lots more stories in my book. It's a faith builder. Go get it. (laughs) Praise God. I'm just going to pray now with you. Lord, we just thank you that we live in the kingdom of God, that we are not subject to the natural, that we are not just natural people. We're not just mere humans. We are supernatural children of the Most High God. We are a new species of being that never existed before. And We believe in miracles. We trust you. Your word says it. We believe it. We are having it. So, Lord, I just pray that you will help us to walk in everything that you have equipped and empowered us to walk in and that we fulfill your plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.